This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 56th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. How are you? Would you rather I hadn't asked you that because you were struggling to come up with something that you were great about? Well, you should know I'm great every week. That's true. Regardless of, of what's going on in my life. I could just stop asking you, but I never will. Good, good. Uh, but it's your birthday coming up. Oh, man. Sure is. Um, you know, birthdays just aren't quite as juicy as they used to be, you know. True. Um, still, like, still kind of cool whenever people are telling you happy birthday happy birthday on Facebook and stuff. and People that you never talk to. Yeah. People you don't even know their new last name. Right. So, yeah, it's like, who who is this? Oh, yeah. It's like, I haven't talked to you in like eight years, but thanks. Yeah. Really means a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm doing great as well. Uh, it was kind of a fun weekend of sports last weekend. The Missouri Tigers won, the Chiefs won, the Panthers won, Nebraska won. Oh, yeah. Everybody won. So it's just a great time. But uh, we've got a pretty uh, fun show today. We're going to talk about Caleb Love, of course, because it's getting down to the finish line with him. We're going to talk about Missouri sort of getting the monkey off their back with uh, South Carolina and uh, a few more things. But first, we have to talk about the news. And first, we will obviously talk about this more when we recap the game. But Cale Garrett has now become the second Missouri defender to get SEC Defensive Player of the Week honors. And he scored a touchdown just like Nick Bolton did when he won the award. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I feel like it's been a while since we've been able to rely on our linebackers so much as we are right now. But uh, yeah, Cale Garrett obviously had a fantastic game and had the heads up play at the very beginning of the game that just kind of set the tone, I think, for the rest of the game. But um, I don't know if I ever would have thought to do what he did there. I mean, that was just such a incredible, yeah. incredible awareness. Yeah, and like you said, set the tone that like uh, offense, it doesn't really matter what you do. Defense is probably <laughs> going to bail you out this whole game. At least that's what ended up happening. Yeah, I think he that's his second uh defensive touchdown of the year this this year. Yep. So I believe three games in a row now with a yeah. defensive touchdown. Mm-hmm. Because Bolton had one against West Virginia and then Cale Garrett had the one against SEMO. He had a, they both had the pick six and yep. then of course last week. Yep. Um switching over to basketball. Uh I don't know if you heard about this. There's a school to the west of Missouri. I forget their name. They've got like a bird mascot, but they, I guess, they Stanford won. Cardinal. Uh, not quite that far west. <laughs> and their mascot is actually a tree. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, so. not even a, that's not even a that's bird. That's not applicable. At so, all. so no, not Stanford. Um, but I, they've won some basketball games before, and apparently they cheated to do it according to the NCAA, because Kansas has been notified that they have allegations from the NCAA, including 
lack of institutional control, among other level one violations. Mm. Yeah, this is what this is what you love to see. Um, I don't know when we're going to find out about what these allegations are. I think it's still going to be a little while, which seems to just always be the case with these kind of legal battles. It's right. like, we'll, we'll find out later. Yeah. That's just always the answer. But we'll find out later, then they'll appeal. Yes. We won't know how long that'll take. Seems bad, though. Yeah. Uh, seems like it's worse than it's ever been, which, is, which, is, which is good for us. Yeah. Um, at what point do we think we see Bill's self get out of town? Um, if I think we will see him make potentially the jump to the NBA in some capacity if that'll be a a signal that the NCAA is about to bring the hammer down because we won't know I think Kansas and self will know what's happening before we do and then he'll kind of start transitioning out of the program yeah potentially do you think that Kansas was surprised by these allegations because I feel like Bill self seems to know what he's doing uh I feel like if these allegations are to be serious, like they seem like they could be, I feel like he may have already left if he could have. That's true. Um, I can see that. But I don't know. The way that they, the way that the university has come out in full support of him, um, I don't know. It seemed, They're not saying, like, we didn't do anything wrong. They're basically taking – they're basically saying we're going to – we're not. they're not denying anything. They're just saying we're going to – Put up a fight basically against any punishment that may come their way so i don't know it's such a weird mess i don't think i honestly don't think the ncaa ever wanted to uncover anything like this but their hand was kind of forced by the fbi when the fbi was like uh people are doing illegal things you know defrauding whoever mm-hmm. and you're just kind of letting this happen or you're so dumb that you don't realize it. And the NCAA was like, Hey, we're not dumb. We'll find some stuff out too. Yeah. And so now it's been like, like almost two years that all these kind of like allegations about college basketball have kind of been like floating around out there and nothing has happened except for Rick Pitino. Right. So yeah, clearly the NCAA is kind of like wanting to show some interest that they're, they want to, you know, fight back on some of this stuff, but they're not really willing to do much. But when, I mean, if I think about last year with Will Wade, it was like, it looked like oh he was gone like yeah there was a point where i was like there's no way no he coaches way. another game for lsu and then they were just like well actually yeah he's back everything's fine he said he's sorry yeah don't don't worry about it mm-hmm. nothing to see here yeah so it'll be interesting it could to be see the if, exact same situation uh, yeah that's what i'm thinking is like okay i feel like these these like really respected journalists have come out with this hard-hitting legal story about you know how the the schools are finally going to face allegations and all this stuff and then like nothing happens and we forget about it so i feel like this is this is just continues to happen over and over and then nothing happens so uh we will see yeah and if missouri has learned anything or if anybody has learned anything from missouri it's don't admit to anything and fight it every step of the way yeah and then here missouri is they're like the one school that's gotten yeah gotten any penalty really of any kind um speaking of missouri that's who we're really here to talk about, and we can talk about Caleb Love some more because he has trimmed his list yet again. It looks to be the final trimming uh, until he actually picks a school, and it's down to North Carolina and Missouri. He canceled his visit to Kansas and Louisville, and it just came out today. He is expected to announce his decision next week. It's crazy. Um, it's really been an incredible roller coaster ride. Um, really from the last couple of months, um, just going from f- what felt like ground zero, you know, having zero chances at all to 
are we the front runner? <laughs> you know, it's back to so now it's a two team race. We've I feel like we've probably been saying that the last couple couple weeks that it's really probably down to Mizzou and North Carolina at this point. I feel like I've kind of no, I've kind of felt in my heart all along North Carolina would probably be the the destination that he ends up, and it very well still could be. Um, when you're I, I, when you're going up against a a blue a blue blood program for a five star recruit especially when you're in Missouri, there's just going to be some fundamental differences, some fundamental disadvantages that you have. And clearly Mizzou is, is facing that right now. And I don't know. I, I think that Missouri has some things that to offer that North Carolina doesn't have to offer, you know, just being the, the hometown hero and, you know, staying home close to your family, some of those things. But ultimately I don't know if they're going to be able to fight off what North Carolina can offer. Yeah. And we've seen that recruiting pitch fall flat. So, so many, many times, times that it's like, well, if that's all we've got right now, which they've got a little bit more than that. Nobody I mean, wants to be the hometown hero, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um, if they were, if Missouri was a few more years along in the process of recovering from the Kim Anderson era, you know, I, I feel like this is talking super big picture, but you you hear about with these kids that they're recruiting now that when they were in you know middle school first starting to watch the Missouri Tigers play basketball, they watched three of the, they watched the three worst seasons Mizzou basketball has ever had. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're, I mean, those are the years when I first started watching, but I was watching uh, Mike Anderson and those teams. And I knew a little bit about uh, Quinn Snyder, but there was nothing terrible there. But when these kids, the thing that's fresh in their mind is the Kim Anderson era and Konzo's just starting to get things rolling. I mean, I don't really blame them for that being, you know, what's in their head when they think about Mizzou basketball. And I think three, four, five years from now, when hopefully Konzo's been building his program and everything's been going really smooth, multiple trips to the NCAA tournament, then that'll start to shift a little bit and it Mm -hmm. won't be such a difficult thing to overcome. But as of right now, I just, I really can't blame anybody for, choosing North Carolina or any school like that over Missouri obviously you hope that they stay home and it would be an awesome story but yeah yeah I mean it's a it's a risk for him if you think about it from his perspective I mean what if I what if I go to Missouri and we're not very good and I kind of just am forgotten and I you know maybe get drafted after a couple years or whatever but I don't know it it's easy to think from our perspective that he's going to come and and change the program and be a hero and everything but it's you know it's reasonable to think about it from the other side that he really it's probably more reasonable that he could fall off the the map on a national level easier at Missouri than North Carolina I don't know I don't know what his I don't know what his motives are um yeah and with North Carolina I mean just this past year they turned Kobe White into a fringe one and done guy to you know a top pick uh for the bulls and this year they've got uh what's the kid's name the point guard that's going into north carolina this year uh anthony cole anthony Mm. and he's going to be a one and done guy so if they're selling that track record of one and done point guards it's like how can another thing just to to overcome that missouri can't show yet that's true so I don't know. There, there's been a ton of uh, crystal ball predictions that have kind of gone North Carolina's way just today. Yeah, um, kind I think of coming off of his visit. One hundred percent of the 
uh, predictions are North Carolina. Right. right. Now. And, and that could definitely be two different things. That could be one. He's probably committed to North Carolina on his visit, just hasn't announced it yet. And uh, some of these, na- that, I feel like that happens a lot with these national analysts. They kind of uh, one person hears about it and then it just kind of the dominoes fall from there. Um, the other thing could be, you know, he's cut his list down to two. He's taken a visit to both. I just feel like I have to put in a in a in a guess, and obviously, if I'm a national analyst a- analyst looking at it from a bird's eye view, I'm going to pick North Carolina over Missouri every single time. So it's possible that they're just taking a guess because he's already taken both his visits and he's about to make his decision, and they feel like they have to submit some kind of guess, or it could be that they really have something to go off of. If it was somewhere in between those two, you'd think somebody would pick Missouri. Mm-hmm. Just I don't know. I I know these guys want to. These guys that are making their predictions, they want to keep their reputation intact and everything. They want to be correct, but also... Right. If they pick Missouri and they're wrong, then they look really stupid. Right. But if they pick North Carolina with everybody else and he picks Missouri, they would say, well, nobody knew. True. So it's very possible that that could be the case, maybe, but I don't know. I I tend to think that he probably is going to end up at North Carolina. I'd give Missouri probably a 10 to 20% chance at this point, but that's... That's a, I don't know. It's still a chance. And yeah, I don't it's know. still, it's always good to be in that final discussion on decision day. But yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of those painful second places though. Right. And it's, it gets old, but I mean, that's just what, that's what it's like to be a fan of a, of a program that isn't a, a blue blood is you, you lose recruits to those kind of programs, unfortunately. Yeah. The more I look at, uh, Caleb Love and like watch YouTube videos of him and stuff. Just I'm preparing for him to pick North Carolina and then me just never want to see anything about him ever again. <laughs> I'll still root for him to be successful, but I'll, I don't, I won't be following his career as right. closely. That's obviously, how so. I am with like EJ Liddell right. and like Devin Booker and some of those guys. I mean, obviously, we couldn't really avoid Devin Booker because we played against him multiple times a year, right. but yeah, you uh, do. Yeah, that's the way just, I was with Jason painful. Tatum, although when he goes to Duke, you I mean, you're going to see a lot about him, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's actually easier with EJ Liddell to just kind of ignore him because he, Ohio state, obviously there's still a premier program, but they're not, they don't get the spotlight yeah. like North Carolina and Duke True. do, but yeah, just watching those videos of him, he, his wingspan is insane for a point guard. He's got just perfect size. Um, it would just be incredible to land him and, maybe let him learn from drew smith a little bit and next year and just then take over the program that would be incredible and it would also probably help with the recruitment of josh christopher and speaking of josh christopher i saw on instagram that or a tweet that was a screenshot from josh christopher's instagram story that conzo martin was in california visiting josh christopher so i thought that was kind of interesting that it seems like maybe all the work is done on Caleb Love, and it's just kind of let's that's see what happens. Kind of what I thought as well is so. it's possible that Conzo knows. I don't know either. I don't know. He might know that that is the shot's over or that the work is done, and he's he's moving on to uh, Josh Christopher. Which honestly, that we might be a, a losing battle at, at this point too. So more crystal ball, more crystal ball predictions for UCLA. UCLA, yeah. So man, it's just crazy to think how long we've been talking about these guys, the connections that we have to these guys how hard we've been recruiting him 
I mean, we've literally done everything we possibly can at this point. We've, we've recruited them the whole cycle. You and I and Konzo. Yes, yeah, so us personally. I've probably like tweeted at him before, and it should have been really meaningful to him. And uh, it's disappointing. All those Mizzou gifts. All the gifts that we've tweeted at them. And so, and just for them to spurn us for other schools. Well, they haven't yet, but right. it's seemingly yeah. like they will. So I, it, it is, it's disappointing. And I, I think that, I don't know, man. I, I, I think it, at some point you have to start, you know, wondering when is Konzo going to land some of these guys? And I, we both are number one Konzo fans and we both love him. I don't know how you couldn't, but it's, it's starting to get to the point where, if we're going to, you know, spend this much time on a recruit, put in all the resources and really roll out the red carpet, we have to land somebody at some point yeah. because it's, it just has yet to happen. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see if slash when we do lose out on these guys, who are the backup plans? Cause yeah. uh, Davian Bradford obviously is out there and he would be coming. I mean, they'll take his commitment alongside love and, um, Christopher anyway Mm -hmm. but the backup options at wing and guard you know I'm kind of kind of thinking if they lose out on Caleb Love I don't see them taking a 2020 point guard I don't know and they'll just uh you know move on to 2021 when it comes to that position just roll with Xavier Pinson in the meantime kind of feel like the same exact thing happened with EJ Liddell last year and Trey Jackson obviously Trey Jackson was committed to Minnesota originally and it was kind of like, uh, okay, who's who's next up in line? Because we spent all of our time recruiting these two guys, and they're both gone. So I don't know what we do now. Yeah, I don't know if Konzo would maybe see if there's anybody that's committed that would be interested in flipping, like from uh, St. Louis or something like that. Yeah. But, who's the guy that went to uh, St. Louis, St. Louis East? Uh, East St. Louis. Man. Oh, you're talking about uh, Hargrove? Yes. I always have. Is he a? Um, he'll he's be. A, he's a freshman this year. Yeah. Okay. He'll be on campus gotcha. this year. Yeah. He's always one guy that I. I wonder if we'll maybe miss. Miss out on a little bit. Yeah, that that was always a weird one, but when he committed to SLU, I kind of, just. You know that typical thing when your team doesn't get a guy, you just kind of think, well, I guess. Uh, I guess we was, didn't want him. I guess I was higher on that player than the staff was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was still, it's still hard to take your mindset away from the Kim Anderson era. Whereas, like, if this guy's top five in the state of Missouri or the state of Illinois and he's got a Mizzou offer, like, we should be going really hard on this guy. And then in the Kim Anderson era, it would have just been such a great thing to land a guy like that and where with Conzo Martin he's after like not only is he after these big name guys he's in in it till the end with a lot of them mm-hmm. I mean going back to EJ Liddell and Courtney Ramey right so the question almost becomes do we need to have some kind of you know philosophical shift in maybe the caliber of player we're going after and I mean if there's a five-star guy in Missouri then yeah you gotta go after him but I don't know maybe we have to lower slightly our expectations for the level of recruit we're going after i think though that when with the level of play being such a improvement over the kim anderson era that it'll start to match a little bit more Mm -hmm. where missouri as a program is seen as the type of place that should be getting 
these type of guys mm-hmm. instead of it being a huge upset right for missouri to pull some of these in-state guys yeah we just gotta we're gonna have to make a living off of the torrance watson type players you know the guys who are the top 100 players but maybe not the five-star guys that might play three or four years it's really what we're gonna have to make yeah, our money I mean, in the turnaround. and i feel like yeah the missouri a missouri caliber basketball team is always going to be relying incredibly heavily on that type of player but it we've talked about it so many times just sprinkling in these high four stars and a five star every once in a while to take them to the next level is is important but i mean we've seen missouri teams in the past not need that but i don't know you're talking about some really talented players in a damari carroll or a phil pressy and other guys that got nba looks in uh kim english marcus denman so it takes both but man it seems like it'd be a lot easier if uh if missouri was able to just sprinkle in these five-star guys every once in a while or the the top of the missouri uh player list basically um speaking of basketball though the basketball team started practices this week and Conzo Martin addressed the media for the first time in a while and there wasn't really anything too terribly newsworthy uh I thought it was kind of funny he said he hadn't really he'd been traveling hadn't heard much about the NCAA Kansas situation Mm -hmm. which I wouldn't expect him to comment much on that anyway yeah um it's kind of funny that he brought it up or I guess he didn't bring it up but he somebody asked him about it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think uh just a couple of takeaways were that Mark Smith um is you know is practicing i don't know he's i don't think he's doing full like five on five scrimmage stuff yet which honestly is a little bit surprising to me Me it seems like his injury is kind of lingering a little bit or maybe they're just going super safe with it um the other thing i think they're trying to get a second year of eligibility for axel akondo axel akongo and just kind of some a couple of player highlights i mean obviously good things to say about drew smith good things to say about xavier pinson so yeah. yeah, comparing Drew Smith to Jonte <laughs> Porter, though, comparing Drew Smith to Jonte Porter, though, kind of makes me nervous because I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of. Those are lofty expectations. Yes, exactly. And I think he was just talking about how he can contribute in more ways yeah. than just scoring, yeah, which definitely. obviously is important and something that made Jonte really special. And I think definitely, I mean, we've nerd, we, we've heard nothing but. Just great things about Drew Smith. Not a not a one bad thing. And I don't know. I I'm really excited, but also the Mizzou fan in me just wants to just temper my expectations a little bit. Right. But I I'm expecting big things from him. Honestly, yeah. I, I it's can't kind of like help uh, at this point. It's kind of like Kelly Bryant and the fact that man, the hype was just unreal for Kelly Bryant. I think that's a great comparison. And but he's come in, and I think that's fair to say he's lived up to a lot of that hype. Maybe not as much hype as. Because I mean, it was just out of the world, out of this yeah. world. But I mean, he's come in and been very productive just, and very, very good. Yeah, pull off a win in the first game of the season, and right. I don't think anything anybody's no, questioning no anything. Concerns. Yeah, yeah. So Drew Smith is is definitely got some expectations to live up to, um, and I I wonder that even if he does some of those things, those Jonte Porter like things where he's getting assists or or you know playing good defense, are we still going to think that he's the player that we thought he was going to be, even if he only averages you know seven or eight points a game? Um, but it, I guess it doesn't really matter what we think as long as the team's winning. Yeah, I think the big difference, though, between Kelly Bryant and Drew Smith, I, <laughs> that's a weird thing to compare, but um, imagine the hype 
around Kelly Bryant if he was going to get two years in the program. Yeah. Drew Smith, unless he just plays out of his mind and works himself into a uh, NBA draft selection, he's going to get a second year playing in this system, which is just incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. That's all I have for news then. It's crazy how long we've been like thinking about Drew Smith. Like, oh, I know. He's just, I yeah. mean, it seems like he's been in the program for three years already. <laughs> I know. We're finally going to get to see him play in a couple months. Yeah, that's really exciting. You ready to talk about this South Carolina win? I'm ready. Um, Missouri won. They did it. They pulled off something that even though we thought it should happen, it seemed like maybe Missouri was never going to beat South Carolina ever again. Yeah. And Barry Odom, I'm sure, has to feel good about finally taking care of business there. They, he was 0-3 against South Carolina. <coughs> Last year, they should have beat South Carolina in every way, but uh, yeah, choked it away with weird circumstances, but finally got it done. It truly feels so good just to be able to, just, just to win a game that is not a for sure win, you yeah. know, and it seems like we just haven't done that very much recently in a, in a, you know, an important SEC game where there's a lot riding on the game and we come out with a victory. It just seems like we have not really done that. And I lot. think this is the first time that Barry Odom has won his SEC opener. Interesting. As well. So, so yeah, this was just all around really good. It seemed like really Missouri was the superior team from start to finish. Um, they didn't show it in every way all the time, but it, it was it made me nervous a little bit in the first half like it seemed pretty obvious that Missouri was the better team mm-hmm. but they just did that thing where they just right. let South Carolina hang around and, and it's exactly what's happened in the last couple of years is where in these games where they're playing against Kentucky or South Carolina or whoever it is where they feel like the superior team for 95% of the game and somehow still lose yeah so that's I guess why this game just felt so nice and so different is because we right. felt like the superior team and we won yeah um we'll uh recap it here just a little bit um started off kind of slow offensively uh the teams traded punts but then mizzou had uh, a short field and they drove it all the way down to the south carolina two-yard line we saw a 21-yard run from kelly bryant that was something that showed up again later and was needed and very helpful for missouri and then Beatty got a shot at the end zone couldn't get in Roundtree had two chances, and then on fourth down, Bryant got stuffed and actually driven back for a loss of six. That was on fourth down, so it was a turnover on downs after having the ball first and goal from the two. Yeah, that's kind of one thing I forgot about a little bit in this game because obviously we'll talk about it in a minute, but it gets kind of uh, erased almost by Kale Garrett's defensive touchdown, but that was a really, really defensive. That was really disappointing into that series. Um, and not being able to punch it in from like what you know, a yard or two out. Yeah. So and really, I don't know that fourth down. I, like it, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I really felt like I was completely satisfied with kicking a field goal there. Um, I think I would have been totally fine just taking the three points. Um, but obviously, if we would have punched it in, then I would have been happy we didn't. But I don't know Wait, that early in the game. I think I'd be fine with taking the three points. Yeah, and of course, everybody is um, after the fact on twitter everywhere message boards questioning the play calling Mm -hmm. to the extreme in those goal line situations i try not to do that because just like you know if if one of these guys punches it in then i mean we do it all the time short yardage runs for a touchdown happens all the time Mm -hmm. to expect them to get stuffed four times in a row right i mean obviously the coaching staff wasn't thinking that either Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm not gonna 
try to criticize them too much, but I do, I do, and I, I am a little bit curious about the you know running a fourth and one from shotgun. I, I think it'll take it'll take a pretty good explanation from somebody who knows what they're talking about to convince me that that's a better option than just lining up you know I formation and and just you know power power football. Um, unless you're gonna do something else, I, I I I was a little bit perplexed by by the shotgun. Yeah, if you're gonna give him the option to throw, or right. if you're gonna do some misdirection, and I think there was a read that could have been made there, um, and Kelly Bryant kept the ball. I'm trying to remember that play exactly, but um, yeah, obviously it didn't work. But yeah. on third and one, I'm I don't I don't mind it, but on fourth and one, when you just gotta get one yard, yeah, I I'm not sure I love that. Um, I don't. Has this Missouri team this year ever attempted a true quarterback sneak with Kelly no, Bryant? No, that's something that they might. That's uh, I mix in a little bit. And that's I think I had somebody kind of ask me on Twitter why why would you run the I formation? And it's like, well, I mean, you still I, it, because they know what you're going to do. Yeah. I'm like, well, you still have options because you can do, and it, it may not even matter. Even if they know exactly what you're going to do with an I formation, if you got a, a good push from your offensive line, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, if you just QB sneak it. Or you can always have the option of doing a play action pass, rolling out, whatever. You can but, still you can <clears> run it with the running back right up the middle. You can still run to the outside. Right. And you have enough options still to keep options. the defense honest. If they sell out on one thing, mm-hmm. they're probably there's a decent chance they're gonna win that matchup. But you still even if a defense sells out on a run up the middle, you can still run it in for a touchdown. Right. I just feel like nine out of ten times you're gonna be able to sneak it in you know, one yard out on a play like that. But I don't. I'm not calling plays. So thank for, goodness, for a reason. Thank goodness it didn't matter because Kale Garrett erased it. It's like it didn't even happen, um, and that was a crazy play. So South Carolina's second play on their next possession was a pass that was batted right back into the hands of the quarterback. He caught it, and I understand completely what he was thinking. He was just trying to get an incomplete pass and let the down be over. Obviously, he should have just like spiked right it. it was essentially a fumble i yeah, guess they he, called it a second pass but right well was, that's guess, what it, it would have been much a fumble. if it was a forward pass then he would have illegally complete or not completed but attempted two forward passes on the same play which you can't do mm-hmm. uh, he needed to just not catch the ball after right. it was batted back to him but he threw it behind him and the only person i think in the world that saw what happened actually was kale garrett because he just immediately ran for the ball yeah. and recovered it in the end zone. Yeah. I probably watched the replay seven times and I still didn't even, I was like, what are they even reviewing here? Right. Um, I was like, I'm like getting frustrated. Like, why? <laughs> what, come on, what are they? And then, so uh, I, yeah, I'm very thankful for Kale Garrett and his awareness and whoever told the referees that they should take a look at it. I'm I thankful think it was, for that it was him. He was I like, guess. that was backwards. You could see him. You could read his lips on the replays. He was saying he threw it backwards. That's a touchdown. He threw it backwards. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, I can't believe that he was – I mean, it shouldn't surprise me, but just when nobody else saw it, the fact that he was like, whoa, I saw something there, mm-hmm. and he just acted on it. Yeah. He knew for sure what it was supposed to be. Right, and I immediately – I have a, a decent feeling about this game because, again, that is the exact thing that has never gone in Missouri's favor in the past few years. We've seen time after time just those unexplainable, unfathomable things happen, and they're almost always against Missouri, and they seem backbreaking every time. But for once, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, South Carolina did something stupid, and, and we benefited from it. Yeah, and it it just bailed out the offense completely. Um, but 
the offense still struggled to get anything going. Um, the first quarter, both offenses were pretty terrible. Um, they There was three punts in a row before Tyler Beatty fumbled the ball back to South Carolina. and But they weren't able to do anything because they missed a field goal. So it was kind of ugly play for a while there. It's really unfortunate to see a fumble from Beatty. He kind of had a, a tough game, but he had a really good play later that we'll talk about. Um, Missouri had a field goal attempt that they made on their next possession. And then after that, Kelly Bryant threw an interception that was returned to the one-yard line. But once again, Kelly Bryant saved a touchdown with a tackle uh, right at the goal line. But that was close enough for South Carolina to just punch it in for their first score of the game. So the defense playing incredibly and the offense basically just handing South Carolina seven points with a turnover. And that was very reminiscent of the almost exact same thing that Drew Locke did last year against South Carolina was a, a pick six he threw just kind of like a little screen pass to nobody then just some like outside linebacker or defensive end just happened to be there and that is exactly wh- what Kelly Bryant did on this play um, so yeah I mean this game the final score wasn't all that close and it really didn't seem like it was all that competitive in the second half but and and we gave South Carolina seven points yeah um the South Carolina offense really still couldn't do anything. Um, but when Mizzou got the ball back, Kelly Bryant had another 20-yard gain on the ground and eventually set up a touchdown pass to Alberto to make it 17-7. to And let's see here. I think that was the halftime score, but we'll get that to that in a sec. I was mm-hmm. really happy to see Alberto <clears throat> get that touchdown. He's still just racking up touchdowns mm-hmm. for his career. Crazy we'll uh, touch base with that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. And it was good to see – this is a great time to talk about Kelly Bryant running the ball because yeah. this was the second time now that he kind of bailed out the offense with a uh, 20-yard gain on the ground, and it was definitely needed. Yeah, and it's interesting because we talked about it um, last week in the podcast in our uh, preview. preview. Preview, thank you. That's, that's what those are that's called. The, that's what the word is. Uh, preview of South Carolina. Um, we specifically talked about how he had not a single time uh, taken the ball on an RPO play. And I don't, I still don't know if this is 100% true, but it kind of seemed like, you know, we weren't playing the toughest competition yet, so we may not need to pull that trick out of the hat yet. Um, and maybe kind of saving it for a, for a more, more important game. And it, it certainly seems like that may have been exactly what happened because right off the bat, Kelly Bryant was taking the ball on RPO plays and getting involved in the run game. So that was, that was really good. He was good to just kind of looking to run if the receivers were covered or, you know, he got flushed out of the pocket, he was looking to pick up those first downs or make a big play on the ground. Right. Where it seems like inexplicably he hadn't really been doing that so far this season. Yeah. The unfortunate thing about Kelly Bryant's game was it was by far the worst we've seen him look in the past game. Um, and I don't know. It's really bad. It definitely was in the first half. At times, it was it was really bad. And I don't know if that's because South Carolina is by far the best defensive line we've played so far. I'm sure that has something to do with it. Obviously, uh, Kinlaw is potentially a first round pick in the draft um, next year. They've got some some serious dudes on on the D line, so he had a lot less time to throw. Um, but he was just missing wide open guys and uh it was it was scaring me there for a little bit and or just just being behind a guy just enough to where he couldn't catch it cleanly or Mm -hmm. just coming up short or just overthrowing it where a guy jumps and it's just out of his reach it was just like man there were some really bad throws and there were some throws that were just off enough 
to not really give the receiver a great chance. Yeah. And then, of course, I think I tweeted out something like a kind of a vote of confidence for him. Yeah. Like, he'll yeah, settle in. I think he'll really settle in and like, and he's going to be better. And then almost immediately he throws the pick six. Yeah. I almost tweeted at you like, uh, when's that settling yeah. in going to well, happen? Well, some, somebody quote tweeted it and just said pick six. That's, that's <laughs> all they said. And I was like, all right, I saw it. I know. Anyways, um, and I think that one thing I don't know how I didn't think about this before the game, but obviously Kelly Brighton's from South Carolina. You know, he he went to Clemson. He's from South Carolina. He probably knows a lot of those guys. And Barry Odom mentioned after the game that he might have just been a little, little might have been a little juiced. Sure, might have been a little nervous. So maybe he just had some things he was thinking about that he doesn't normally think about, uh, kind of on a personal level. So I don't maybe know. Maybe trying a little too hard to. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Just putting a little when, extra pressure on himself or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah 17 to 7 at halftime uh, both teams punted one more time to close out the half and it was one of those games where we've talked about already the score looked good Missouri's offense was still you know putting up you know moving the ball and out gaining South Carolina South Carolina could do nothing on offense but you just felt like there were enough kind of weird plays to where it should have been already you know, a 20 point lead and Missouri's offense just kind of didn't take advantage of a few things and let South Carolina even score the seven points that they already had. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely two big glaring mistakes and not punching it in from the one yard line and then throwing the big interception. So yeah, like you said, it could have been a, probably a bigger lead. And then to start the second half, uh, South Carolina got the ball, and it only took them one play to score. Uh, Helensky found wide receiver Brian Edwards, and it was just a, a short pass, but he took it, I think, 75 yards to yeah. make it a three-point game. Yeah, he's a great player. Yeah, and so that's not good. <laughs> Obviously, we've talked about the Missouri defense and big plays many times. I meant to say last week that I thought one of the keys uh, for Missouri's defense was giving up no more than two touchdowns on plays of 20 yards or more. I wish I would have said it because they gave up one here, but that would be the only one. And I think that's something to look for with the Missouri defense from here on out is giving up touchdowns on big plays. Because when teams get into the red zone, Missouri's defense is really good and they can hold a guy or hold a team to a field goal, force a turnover like we saw in this one. But when you just kind of let a team get away with one play, yeah. two plays <clears throat> scoring from really far out, uh, you just don't give yourself a chance yeah. to stop them. It's like they, it's like they need some kind of wake up call to to realize, okay, now we got to play good. Yeah. Because um, that, like you said, that was just right out of the half. They had a nice lead. They've been playing really well. I'm like, oh, here's this wake up call that we need to uh, to you know snap back in it. Um, but at the same time, that should have been the only points that South Carolina had scored to that right. point. Right. And uh, Missouri's defense has been tremendous, really, for, you know, minus a few big plays at Wyoming and, and this big play against South Carolina. The the defense has been fantastic. And they've graded out really well in, uh, you know, some of the metrics. And I think they're, like, top ten in a lot of defensive metrics for yeah. the year. And really rush, rushing and pass defense have been really solid. But they just, like, they can't let their guard down for these big plays. Um, and obviously, you know, Edwards, like we said, is a great player. So sometimes it's just a great player making a great play. But, uh, I mean, and I think the safeties, you know, Gillespie was all over the place in this game. Oh, he yeah. was fantastic. He was incredible. But um, just got to gotta contain those big plays. Yeah, he single-handedly literally uh, stopped South Carolina from scoring a touchdown earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. I think that was when they missed the field goal. Yeah. 
Uh, there he had was, a big sack uh, in the yep. first half as well. Uh, Missouri offense answered, though, uh, with a 75-yard drive of their own, but it took them 10 plays. It was very methodical. Uh, Larry Roundtree finally found some running room, and that one ended with a Kelly Bryant touchdown pass to Tyler Beatty to make it 24-14 Mizzou. Um, it looked really easy on that drive. Kelly Bryant was on the money with his throws. He didn't have to throw a ton because Roundtree was uh, gaining some yards on the ground, but then that just a little toss to Tyler Beatty, and he took it the rest of the way, so that looked really good. But then South Carolina's offense, I think that 75-yard uh, play woke them up because Helensky was making some plays with his arm. He was finding the receivers that he was just completely missing in the first half, and they drove it all the way down to Missouri's goal line. But then the play that changed the whole game, uh, Ron L. Perkins picked him off and took it 100 yards the other way for a touchdown. Instead of potentially South Carolina scoring to make it 24-21, Missouri scores a touchdown, and it's 31-14 Mizzou. Just an absolutely huge play yeah. to just take away any momentum that South Carolina had yeah. and give Missouri a cushion that they really, there's no way they should have even been close to. Th there was no chance with the way that South Carolina's offense had been playing that they were going to mount a comeback after yeah. that pick six. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only does, yeah, I mean, does, does South Carolina not score, but now we've scored, and it's just the biggest swing that could possibly happen in one play. It's the play of the game. It's the play of the year so far. It might be the big, most important play of the entire year, even when the season is done. Um, Ron L. Perkins, I mean, truly like like a career-changing play for him. I mean, he's he's been a good player, um, but he hasn't you know seen consistent playtime throughout his career really until this year. But man, you just like you just love to see that kind of stuff. And um, he was it, really fast and, returning and, that ball too. Yeah, an in-state guy and. Oh, man, just completely changed the landscape of this game. I was also impressed with um, Nick Bolton. If you watch that uh, highlight again. He ran all the way with him. He is keeping up with him for, like, a good 70 yards. Yeah. So he looked really fast, too. But, yeah, that was an incredible play. We saw it all over social media, mm -hmm. which, as we should, was amazing. But, I mean, that was basically it. I mean, the rest of the game, Missouri's defense just shut South Carolina down. Uh, Akeel Byers forced and recovered a fumble. Jordan Elliott had a sack. Kobe Whiteside had two sacks. It's cool to see him get in there, get, yeah. get in the box score. Yeah, he's been pretty solid this year. At some point, uh, South Carolina put in their, I guess, third-string quarterback, uh, DeCarion Joyner. Uh, he was actually started out as a quarterback, moved to wide receiver. Then when Jake Bentley went out, he moved back to quarterback. And so he was the backup going into this game. He came in, but he really couldn't do much either. Yeah, I'm not sure. I was kind of wondering why they put him in. Because they put him in several times, and it was like pretty much like he's 100% going to run. Yeah, uh, but he completed a few passes, and he looked okay there in the fourth quarter. Helensky was, was getting, even when he wasn't getting sacked, he was getting hit hard yeah. on a lot of passes. And, um, I mean, he was looking banged up. And then yeah. we found out afterwards that he – the coaching staff basically told him they weren't going to play him and he said no I'm fine and he was cleared medically you know there was kind of a controversy about that after the game it came out that he probably shouldn't have played but do you buy it um I mean 
the way he looked in that first half was like they're, he they're, looked significantly worse than uh, in his previous games. Yeah. I've, I've watched South Carolina's game, uh, some of their games earlier this year, and he's looked very impressive. And I expected them to come out, you know, on all cylinders firing, and they did not at all. They, I mean, they, no. they couldn't do anything. So I don't know if that's all to say that you know he was having issues with his arm. I, I don't know, um, but it, I I'm, I might buy it just because of the drop off in the performance that we saw with. And it, he was getting banged up in this game. Yeah. So taking him out, um, it looked like, you know, they weren't doing any favors for him, uh, keeping him out there into the fourth quarter. But that was pretty much it. Uh, Missouri won thirty four to fourteen, improves. Uh, Missouri's record to three and one and they actually did that last year they beat UT Martin Wyoming and Purdue and then lost to Georgia so they were three and one but um, it's good to be one and oh in conference I remember I remember this time last year in the next few weeks looking at the standings (coughs) and seeing Missouri's name down there next to Vanderbilt and Tennessee for like half the sec season just thinking oh my gosh why we got to win a conference game we got to get out of the cellar of the sec east and it feels really good to start out on top yeah against a a guy uh, against a team that's pretty evenly ranked with us so um yeah it's it's a good feeling um i don't know i don't know what else to say other than it just kelly bryant looked a lot better in the second half yeah yeah so I don't think we have too much to worry about there. I was actually, uh, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this last week, but I had a work event and I, I was actually able to watch most of the first half, which I didn't think that I would be able to, but had to leave with a few minutes left in the first half and was kind of watching on my phone and stuff. And I was pretty busy, but I was still kind of checking, pulling my phone out every, every once in a while. But I had a text from my, from my wife, or, you know, and maybe halfway through the second half or so. And I, it was a video and I was like, okay this is interesting and she actually kept watching the game after i left and she sent me the video of ronnell perkins like getting nice. the pick six that's awesome so right when i opened the, the text and i saw it was a video of the missouri game i was like this has to be something good because yeah. she wouldn't have sent it to me otherwise so uh i thought that was pretty cool yeah but um was the, so was that the video that you ended up posting yes okay <laughs> you could like see my like i could if you did asked me i didn't even think about the fact that you were working yeah but i was like that doesn't look like kyle recorded that yeah because like <laughs> she kind of pans over and you can like yeah. see the wall and yeah. like a little decoration next to the tv and, and i was kind of like eh. and when you have uh like recorded big plays on the tv i get way closer yeah and it's like and just i don't the screen right. there's no i don't like movement. move the camera yeah, yeah. yeah. So i so asked I her like, about <laughs> that later and she was like yeah it was like following him with my I could tell there was a different cinematographer yeah. behind yeah. the camera. <laughs> yeah, she just doesn't have my talent. But, True. But I definitely I thought but that was pretty great. that she got it at all. Yeah, I yeah. could not believe that she was still watching the game after yeah. I left, so I thought that was pretty cool. I'm just looking over the box score to see if there's anything. Uh, the um, run defense, still incredible. I mean, even if you, if you include sacks, which the official st- statistics do, uh, South Carolina ran for... 16 yards on 24 attempts so that's 0.7 yards per carry wow even if you take out sacks that's still really impressive and they've south carolina has been decent at running the ball this year so that's man that's impressive if that's something missouri can keep up then they won't have any trouble 
I mean, yeah. winning winnable games. I'm telling you, man. Like Kobe Whiteside, Jordan Elliott, these guys deserve a lot of credit. And uh, even even the defensive end, you know, Chris Turner and Trey Williams have have really been doing a good job getting getting pressure on the quarterback. They've they've pressured the quarterback a lot more than they than they did last year. And it's and making a big difference. Yeah, and penalties were way down yeah. in this game. We weren't even close to 100 yards worth of penalties like we have been, I think, all other three games this season. Yeah. And they won the turnover battle. Overall, it was just, it was just nice to breathe a sigh of relief. And for anybody that didn't watch the game, like the national media or even some of the SEC media that didn't watch the whole game, seeing that 34-14. to 14, Yeah really looks good it's very convincing i think that's all for that recap that was nice and fun and i think we can move on to the college football playoff i still don't know what to call this segment that we do but it's our college football playoff game draft season thing and it's where we each have a squad of teams (laughs) that we think have a chance to be in the college football playoff at the end of the year. And we have four teams, and we're going to see who is uh, who has the best-ranked squad at the end of the regular season. So it looks like, obviously, Notre Dame lost. That was a big one. Um, Too much Georgia Bulldogs. Of course. But they didn't drop very far in the rankings. They're still ranked 10th. Yeah, they, they played a pretty close game. Yeah. So I feel pretty good about them. Uh, it looks like Utah lost. That's what I was just looking up. I was like, I don't even know if my team is won or not. Yeah. Who U- they lose to? Uh, Utah lost to USC, I believe. Oh, that's right. I saw that. Yeah. Which a lot of people think now that loss coupled with uh, UCLA beating Washington State. Pac-12's already out. pretty much knocked the Pac-12 out of the college football playoff. Which Have they ever made? They have not. They have not. So, uh, Producer Cameron, you've got Ohio State, Oklahoma, Auburn, and Florida. I believe you still have the first option to switch out one of those teams if you would like. I would not like. He would not like. (laughs) That moves us on to Kyle with Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, and Utah. And I'm thinking, Producer Cameron, he might be tempted to uh, make amends with the old Texas Longhorns. (laughs) Well, Cameron... Don't put words in my mouth, but you might have a good point. You know, California might have a might be the Pac-12 representative. They're still undefeated. Yes, yeah. they beat uh, Ole Miss. Yes. Oh boy, <laughs> Florida's ranked number nine. They're the highest ranked team that has not picked by anybody. And no, no Cameron. Cameron has them. Oh, that sucks for you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I might just have to re. I might have to just repick Texas, and okay. get him back in there. Seven Utah out for Texas. Except they're never going to be Oklahoma, but you never know. Never know. Maybe they won't need to. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, I have Clemson, LSU, Wisconsin, and Notre Dame. That Wisconsin pick looking great. Um, I'm. I think I'm just going to have to stick with Notre Dame. We've got the whole top ten covered, mm-hmm. so, and they looked pretty good against Georgia. If that's their only loss on the season, they could sneak they in there. They still might have a yep a shot. So I'm gonna stick with that. Cool. There's many losses yet to come, so we'll see if anything gets 
uh, mixed up. Do we have any matchups this week between our teams? Uh, let's see. Here. I don't think there's very many big matchups this week. Yeah, can we get to like week seven already? What's week seven? Um, not crappy matchups. <laughs> Probably yeah. something good. He thinks. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but not week eight. No. Definitely week seven. And not week six. Probably either. by then they'll all be pretty interesting. It seems like the SEC, one thing that kind of annoys me about them is they'll just sprinkle in those yeah. cupcake it's games so throughout staggered. the whole season. Yeah. I'm um, just uh, scrolling through the top 25 here real quick. Oh, Cal's number 15 now. Yep. Interesting. Um, Clemson plays North Carolina. Probably not too tough of a test, but... Uh, Notre Dame has a chance to improve their ranking, maybe. They play undefeated Virginia. And... Ohio State <laughs> plays Nebraska. Say, Ohio State, I might have to drop them after this week. So. Okay. That's that is utterly <laughs> absurd. <laughs> but I think that's it for this uh, segment here. So yeah. just to recap, I've got Clemson, LSU, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Kyle has Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, and now Texas. Producer Cameron has Ohio State, Oklahoma, Auburn, and Florida. Wow. And since we don't have a game to preview this week, Missouri is on a bye. They will win the bye week, I'm sure. Hopefully just not have any injuries. I thought it would be a good time to kind of take stock of the season so far, look at the remaining schedule, and also take a look back at some of the statistical uh, things that we talked about at the beginning of the season, specifically with Larry Roundtree, Jonathan Johnson, and Albert O, and kind of how they're climbing some of the all-time career leaderboards at Missouri. Um, but start us off, Kyle, with just kind of your thoughts of the first four weeks of the season, Missouri being 3-1. and one. Well, it's kind of crazy how good I feel about them right now, considering we lost to Wyoming in week one. Um, but I feel like our kind of sunshine optimistic views on the season remained after the Wyoming loss, which seems kind of crazy, but I, I really do think that we, we thought this would happen. We would, we would bounce back. We'd be fine. We'd, we'd beat West Virginia. We'd roll SEMO and potentially knock off South Carolina, which has happened. So I, I don't, I, I mean, it, and we've always known the schedule looks good for right. a few weeks here the, the sec east looks as bad as ever i mean we still there's there's not more than like three or four teams we should lose to right on the schedule still so i, I don't know it's bizarre it's the most unexplainable loss in like ever that we lost to wyoming i just it's crazy that we just could not stop them for you know we, we had a full 60 minutes to to beat a, a team that we are far superior to and just could not do it. And so I will never understand what happened in that game. I completely agree. So let's do a little exercise here. Um, we're going to go down relatively quickly through the rest of the season or the rest of the schedule. And we have to come to a consensus on if it's a win or a loss. Okay. So if we disagree, somebody has got to make a quick pitch here and change the other person's mind. Okay. Uh, first off, Troy, that's a, that's a W. Ole Miss at home. That's a win. Agree. At Vanderbilt. That's a win. Agree. At Kentucky. I think that that's a win. I agree. At 
Number three, Georgia. Loss. I agree. I'm, I was already writing an L before you said anything. At home against Florida. I think this is really probably the one where the only game that we may disagree on. And I don't know, man. It, I, I think Felipe Franks could be back by this point. And if he is back, they do they play him? him? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I think that's like the whole, that's like everything. If, if Felipe Franks plays, I think we win. When, um, when do Florida and Georgia play? I do not know. I'm about to find out. Okay. Florida plays Auburn this week. Oh, my gosh. They play Auburn, then at LSU. Then they get a, kind of a easier game against South Carolina. Then they play at home against Georgia. So that's November 2nd. They play Missouri November 16th. So by that time, Florida's probably looking at two losses at least. Man, I just don't know. Yeah, they've got like murderer's row there. If, um, if somehow this backup quarterback, like if they're able to be undefeated when they play Missouri, then he'll be playing. Yeah, there's no but, way. Yeah. I, I honestly think LSU is as good as they've been in a decade potentially the best team in the country <clears throat> potentially um yeah i don't think there's any way they'd be auburn or lsu and i think that they might have a tough game against south carolina depending on how how healthy helinski is um if if those if they lose both of those games and i don't know i i'm with you i think felipe franks is probably back i and i think that missouri wins this game all right i won't argue with you i'll put it down as a w i think that they're just they're gonna have enough losses on the schedule where they their expectations for the season considering they're at number nine in the country right now i think they probably think they're better than they probably really are their expectations are probably inflated of what they're probably capable of i think that they might be kind of down on themselves and feel like the season is right is slipping away is, yes yeah. and i think missouri has a chance to, to take advantage of that and it's been quarterback play in the missouri florida matchup that has given missouri the advantage specifically florida's poor quarterback play um, that's given Missouri the advantage here in the last few years. So I don't see any, that changing much. Yeah, I think that is really the most the, the biggest toss-up game left on the schedule, though. So then, I mean, finish off the season at home against Tennessee and at Arkansas. And got to pencil those both in as wins. Right. So, I mean, this is why the outlook has still remained so good is because the schedule is so bad. And, I mean, we lost to Wyoming, so I guess we could really lose to anybody except True. Arkansas. But, I, so, I mean, you never know what could happen, but, I mean, it's and it makes the Wyoming loss even that more painful because Missouri really, I think, could go for, through the season and only lose one game being Georgia yeah. if they beat Wyoming. But, well, so long to go, though. But it's crazy that even with a loss to Wyoming, we still have such an op optimistic view. We still have su uh, such a great chance to still have a really, really good season by yep. Missouri standards. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you heard it here. 10 and 2. That's what it's looking like. But just in case, we got to have some other stuff to keep us interested in the rest of the season. So uh, let's look at some of these player statistics. So at the beginning of the season, we talked about Larry Roundtree and his ascent up the uh, career rushing leaderboards at Missouri. And he just in the last game passed Demaria Crockett for 11th all time. In career rushing yards he needs just 63 to get into the top 10 and he needs 477 
to get into the top five, which is just about a 60 yard per game <coughs> average. So 60 yards per game, 477 yards the rest of the way. Can Larry Roundtree uh, crack the top five? I think so. I think he will. And I think that maybe before this week there was, I don't know if concern is the right word, but maybe just a little bit of hesitancy on how much of a priority he was to the, as, as, as much of a priority as he was to this offense as we thought he was before the season. Yeah. So, um, but I think after the South Carolina game and the SEMO game, I, I think he's, I think he's kind of retaken his, his, uh, his throne as the number one running back. And so I think he's still going to be a priority going forward as, as the main guy. I would agree. And I think he should pretty easily uh, crack that top five spot mm-hmm. and it'll be set up. I still think he's gone after this season, but I think it'll be set up for him to potentially return and make a run at uh, Brad Smith's all-time rushing record for Missouri. That would be awesome. Then we have Jonathan Johnson. He's up to 2,044 receiving yards for his career. He just passed Emmanuel Hall for 10th all-time. He needs 271 yards to get top five, which should be doable. Mm-hmm. 271 yards the rest of the way. But he needs 734 yards to get number one. Yeah, and if we've seen anything this season, it's that our wide receivers are not quite as involved as maybe we thought they would be. And we knew that Kelly Bryant wouldn't be throwing the ball as much as Drew Locke. So. And there's not there's definitely not one guy that's yeah, consistently yeah. getting... Right, they're really spreading it around. So um, Jonathan Johnson's come up with some key plays this year, but he's not getting the volume that he maybe has in the last year or two. So I think he'll probably get to that top five mark. That's probably about where he'll end yep, up. I agree with that. Yeah, it, one game he could go for... 90 yards receiving and then the next have one reception for 12 yards he still seems to be like maybe the kind of the go-to guy on third down sometimes though he's come yeah. up with some big third down plays uh when it comes to just receptions he's got 140 he needs seven more for top 10 48 more for top five i really don't see him getting 48 receptions the rest of the way i don't either but seven that should be doable that should be doable and then last we have alberto uh, he has he's sitting on 21 touchdowns for his career. He's one touchdown catch away from tying Jeremy Macklin and Denario Alexander for second all time, but he needs nine more to tie Chase Daniel for first. And if he did get nine more, Chase Daniel, Chase Kaufman, <laughs> if he did get nine more, that would also tie him with Denario Alexander for most in a single season. Hmm. And I famously predicted at the beginning of the season that he would get however many. He would end up with 24. I can't. uh, Let's see here. I said that he would get 14 exactly and tie those marks from the other players. That is that was that was aggressive. But I mean, he's how many does he have this year? Four. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. I don't know. He needs a couple more two touchdown games. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think he gets there, but um, I think he'll be kind of like right in the middle between first and second place. Solidly in second place. Or third place, I mean. Yeah. yeah, solidly in second. That's definitely possible. Probably the most likely situation, but I think he's going to have a monster Hope you're rest right. of the way. Hope you're right. So we'll touch. We'll uh, look back at those again at the end of the season, see how close they, they came to those different marks. 
And last thing here before we pick some games, uh, let's look at the Twitter polls that you put out. Uh, this was an interesting one regarding Kelly Bryant versus Trevor Lawrence. Yes, this was an idea that you had, uh, kind of comparing uh, <clears throat> Kelly Bryant to his former teammate at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. Um, okay, so the first poll that we put out has a little over 200 votes so far. Uh, it says, through four weeks, Kelly Bryant has thrown for 1,025 yards. Current Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence has thrown for 925 yards, so exactly 100 more yards for Kelly Bryant so far. Uh, who finishes the year with more yards? And we're and talking regular season only. Regular season only, yep. And actually, Kelly Bryant uh, is leading the poll forty with uh, 54% of the votes. I voted for Kelly Bryant, and my thought process was that Trevor Lawrence and Clemson have a an incredibly easy schedule the rest of the way. I don't think he'll play very many fourth quarters the rest of the regular season, and I think Kelly Bryant and Missouri will be in more close games where he'll be needing to throw more, and that alone will be enough to let him have more passing yards by the end of the season. Yeah, so you you heard it here first that Kelly Bryant should have kept the starting job at Clemson. Well, that's obvious. <laughs> All right, and the second poll uh that i put out was uh kelly bryant has thrown for eight touchdowns so far and trevor lawrence has thrown for seven touchdowns who finishes the year with more this poll is even more close than the other one and trevor lawrence has the uh the majority of the votes at 51 percent. and i voted for trevor lawrence on this one because my thought process was kelly bryant is not putting up he hasn't really had a game where he's just throwing for a bunch of touchdowns he hasn't had one of those kind of drew Locke or even maddie mock four touchdown games and I could see Trevor Lawrence putting up a four touchdown half yeah and then sitting whereas he's definitely more the, the pocket passer for yeah. sure whereas I see Kelly Bryant you know consistently getting one two three touchdowns mm-hmm. and with the running game that Missouri has you know just probably not quite as many throws in the red zone as Trevor Lawrence cool very re- very uh, reasonable we'll see how it goes i could definitely yeah we'll keep an eye on that i i don't see <coughs> i don't see it like flipping i don't see it like completely going opposite of what i'm thinking but i could definitely see if clemson's in a few more close games that trevor lawrence could just blow him away yeah all right it's time to pick some games this is the famous segment sec pick em plus nebraska Week five edition. Last week I picked Auburn over A and M for the obvious upset, so I got a bonus point there. I also picked Mississippi State over Kentucky, so those were the two that you missed out on, Kyle. But you canceled out one of those points with picking Georgia over Notre Dame. And to be honest, I probably would have normally picked Georgia, right, right. But since I have Notre Dame in the college football playoff, gotta stay on brand. Yeah. So I was able to add two points to my lead, and it's now me with 25, Kyle with 19 on wow. the season. I'm gonna start having to pick. I'm gonna have to pick Arkansas over A&M to start trying to get these upsets. I picks. was gonna say this is not a good week for any kind of comeback <laughs> up or anything like that because it's gonna be pretty straightforward. I'm afraid. Uh, we started off with number 23, Texas A&M at Arkansas. I had to include this one because. I was trying to get to six games, and there were some other really crazy spreads. Yeah, so, this week is kind of a dud. Yeah, Texas A&M is favored by 23.5 on the road at Arkansas. That sounds good. I'll, I'll have that. Yep. Um, 
former Nebraska foe. How did Nebraska do against North Illinois, Northern Illinois? They won pretty easily. Yeah, they crushed them. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, they won pretty easily. Uh, Northern Illinois plays at Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Vanderbilt's also pretty bad. Who are you picking? Um, I'm going to pick Vanderbilt. Mm. I'm giving you the chance to pick that upset and get that bonus point. Uh, I can't do it. Vanderbilt's <laughs> not. It, Vanderbilt's bad, but I don't think they're that bad. All right. Then we have another blowout in the making. Ole Miss at number two, Alabama. Alabama, a 37.5 point favorite. That sounds good. That's an insane spread. Yeah, it is. Then Mississippi State at number seven, Auburn. Auburn, a 10.5 point favorite. I'll take Auburn. Me too. Okay, now we've got one that we might disagree on. Kentucky at South Carolina. South Carolina favored by three at home. Uh, I well, I picked Kentucky to pick Mississippi to uh, beat Mississippi State last week, and they, they let you down. Sucked. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick South Carolina. Okay, I'll pick Kentucky. All right. They're gonna let me down for a second week in a row. <laughs> All right, and then rounding it out, we have Nebraska. They're at home, but they play Ohio State. Now, before we get to our picks, Nebraska had a close game last week against Illinois, a team that they should beat by a lot. So what happened there, Producer Cameron? Why did they not pull away from Illinois? Um, Four turnovers. That will do it. Four turnovers will usually do it. But... They still won somehow. So Cameron, tell us your outlook on Adrian Martinez. Well, last time we had a guy with the last name Martinez, we had him for like four years. Seemed like at eight. least, yeah, <laughs> at least, yeah. <laughs> and that was awful. And then the next guy we had for about five to eight years, so that was awful. And this guy we got as a freshman. So you'll and have him for another 10 years. We'll probably have him for like 10 or 12 years. All named Martinez. Incredible. <laughs> and they're all terrible. Well, he's not. Honestly, if he wouldn't turn the ball over, he would be a pretty decent quarterback. So if he wasn't so bad, kidding me? he'd be good. <laughs> That's sound logic. Yeah. So do you feel worse about him than you did before the season started? Mm, not really. How do you feel about our wager uh, Nebraska's win total versus Missouri's win total in the regular season? Um, not super great. Not, Mizzou's the, schedule is a little more favorable. Are they both? Are they both three and one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a close race. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel I feel pretty decent. All right. So, producer Cameron, what do you think? Uh, are they going to knock off Ohio State? No, but if they have one turnover or less, I think they will cover the spread of 17 and a half. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Ohio State's, man, their offense is crazy. Yeah, they, uh, they're they another team that it's too early to tell they could be the best team in the country. Yeah. Uh, in that case, I'm going to pick Ohio State to beat Nebraska. Same. If you got to choose who won this game, Cameron, who would you pick? Oh, yikes. What a question. Um. Well, hmm. I'd pick Nebraska. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> Honestly, 
I might have to agree with you. Oh, I yeah. hate Ohio State. <laughs> and I hate and, them. And it just adds an interesting dimension to the season, too. Right. I mean, just a big And there's no down. real reason to hate on Nebraska too much, except for just for fun, because it's fun. And they've tormented our Tigers for, like, yeah, 50 but years. We're so over <laughs> it, you know? Yeah, because we weren't alive, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in Dominican Sioux. Oh, uh, that's true. That yeah. was awful. Yeah. Blaine Gabbert. We, we, we went through some of it for sure. Yeah, that was pretty bad. But, yeah. Well, do you think I, Sue is like a total idiot or do you like him, Cameron? Producer no. Cameron? I liked him at Nebraska, but obviously his NFL reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty like great. you can't really defend him. Do you remember uh, that game in the rain in uh, Lincoln when Missouri had just come off their big upset of Oklahoma? No. And Indomitian Sue sacked Blaine Gabbert at least. 30 times at least wow, that's probably a record i remember that that was awful and blaine gabbert was literally never the same quarterback no, ever he, again. I, yeah they like messed him up anyway we've already gone too long on this podcast yeah i can't believe we talked this long whenever we don't have a game this week <laughs> i mean we live up to the challenge oh, rise yeah. to the occasion oh yeah we can talk all day that's all I've got, though. That's all I've got. Um, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on Twitter, at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Alberto 8. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week after the bye.